Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we talked to Reed Wilkins in Edmonton because the Oilers fired their coach today. Wow, Dave Tippett doesn't have a job anymore. Did we see that coming? Also talked to Westman men's basketball forward Spaz Nikolov because senior night is this Saturday night. We'll get his thoughts on his final regular season home game as a Westman coming up on the podcast. For the second time in as many days, a Canadian team fired its head coach. The Oilers dismissing Dave Tippett, promoting Jay Woodcroft from their AHL affiliate in Bakersfield. The Oilers started so hot, 16 of 21. That's how many they won to start the season. Since then, 7 of 23. Not good. So Tippett has been made the scapegoat for an underperforming team. For more, we head to Edmonton and check in with Reed Wilkins, host of Inside Sports on 630 Ched. Reed, were you surprised by today's news? Well, I was a little surprised. Um, obviously, the Oilers have not been doing well lately. They did have that 2-11-2 stretch. They came out of it and went 5-0-1, and it seemed like things were a little more solid, and they were playing better, and then they come out of the All-Star break with two stinkers against Vegas and against Chicago. Um, I, I, You know, it, there's always a lot of talk about fire the coach, fire the coach when things go poorly. I've, I've never been a huge guy just to say, well, let's fire the coach as soon there are a few losses. I certainly recognized it was possible, but during that 15-game stretch, Ken Holland did speak to the media and say he'd never made a coaching change mid-season and he didn't really want to. Um, and I I took him at his, at his word. And also during that time, like a lot of other teams, the Oilers – often didn't have their full lineup. I mean, a lot of guys in COVID, some other injuries, you know, key players who missed extended time, like Hyman Nugent Hopkins, for example. And then they got they started got those players back and they've added, added Evander Kane. And like I said, that all contributed to that 5-0-1 stretch. Now, having said that, when it looked so bad these last two games, I definitely started thinking to myself last night, well, how long does this you know, how many more games could this happen where they might have to do something? So Ken Holland obviously decided not to wait any longer. So I'm surprised. Yes. But did I record like completely surprised Shocked, Not necessarily. It, it certainly was a possibility that had been lingering for a while. I mean, the others are seven, uh, 13 and three in their last 23 games. I mean, if you extrapolate that over, 82 games that's what like a 26 win season so that's a pretty concerning pace that they're on lately it's not all Dave Tippett's fault obviously whenever a team underperforms it's never just the coach what is ailing the Oilers right now well here's the thing I'm going to tell you two things that I've been critical of Tippett and and yeah I, I don't think it's all the coach but the old thing it's easier to to change the coach than change all the players right here's here's what I would say from uh, things that I criticize Dave Tippett. Two two things for me. He played the star players a ton, which might sound like a silly thing to say because, of course, you want your star players on the ice a lot. But, I mean, there were some nights, McDavid and Dreisaitl were up there 23, 24, 25 minutes. I mean, I think that's exhausting for even players who are like them who are in outstanding condition and are used to playing a lot. And I think it reaches the point where it disenfranchises some of the depth players. And, and I was, I'd really been wondering, even when the team was doing well, quite frankly, you know, do, do the depth players feel involved in the outcome of the game? Or, or do they feel rewarded when they do well? There was a game in New Jersey, Ryan McLeod had two assists, one of which was in the first period. Then he assisted on another goal in the, in the third period. He played seven and a half minutes. 
you know, Brendan Perlini scored a goal in the second period of a game a few weeks ago, played five and a half minutes for the entire game. So I think there were some role players and some depth players that, you know, I would think they're probably wondering, okay, well, I, I realize I'm not a star, but why am I playing so seldom? You know, I've like, how, how do I get involved in the game? And I, you know, most players will tell you it's hard to sit there for 15, 20 minutes of, of real time, you know, and get one or, you know, one shift in seven minutes of game time. So that would be one criticism I had to tip it. And the other one, you know, obviously some of this is, is on players. You, you still got to make right decisions and be in the right spot, but the Oilers gave up so many odd man rushes way more than they got. And they were kind of getting beaten, beaten the same way, you know, uh, wide open guys in the slots getting beat by stretch passes. So yes, players have to recognize those things and, and make the proper decisions. But if it's happening over and over again, um, you know, a coach has to step in and, and do something about it. You know, there are other problems that people have brought up. The Oilers fall behind one nothing, like three quarters of their games this season, which quite frankly, it's shocking that they're doing that. They have the record they have. You'd expect them to be even worse given how often they're scored on first. Do I think that's totally on the coach? I don't. You know, some people think that was a mark against Tippett, but I think players have to be ready to play. Um, and I do think Tippett tried to address it. I, I, you know, I know a lot of fans didn't like uh, Tippett's demeanor. They didn't, they didn't think he was sort of energetic enough when he spoke and didn't have appropriate answers. Okay, fair enough. But I mean, most coaches are going to keep it close to the vest and not act like they're losing their minds when things are going poorly. So for me, those weren't big strikes against him, but just in this market, maybe some other things he got criticized for. So tell us more about his replacement and the hopes that they have of a turnaround. Well, Jay Woodcroft has been here before. Um, first of all, he lives here in the off season because his wife is from Edmonton. Uh, he was on Todd McClellan's staff. So I think that is one plus. You have some familiarity with players he coached in Bakersfield, like Ryan McLeod, like Tyler Benson, uh, like Evan Bouchard, like goaltender Stuart Skinner. Um, you know, William Lagason uh, on defense, uh, Philip Broberg and Marcus Niemelainen are being called up because of the injury to Duncan Keith. And some of the Oilers players who were, were you know, have been here longer know him from going back to 15, 16, McDavid, uh, Dreisaitl, Nugent Hopkins, Nurse, uh, you know, Cassian was on the team. So, you know, you got about half the team that has some familiarity with Woodcroft. So, you know, a lot of times when a new coach comes in, you know, he doesn't know any of the players. Maybe they don't know much about him or just know uh, some things on reputation. So I do think that's a plus. Um, Woodcroft, uh, you know, he's, he's younger for head coach. He's 45. Um, you know, Tippett was almost 60. I, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that there's a generation gap, but I, I know there was some, a feeling from some Oilers fans that they maybe wanted a younger coach. Uh, he's a, he's very positive. He's got a lot of energy. I think he's very detailed. I don't think there's any gray areas when he, when he talks to players and I'm not saying that he's, um, you know, uh, aggressive with them or puts them down, but I think he's black and white, you know, here's, here's something you need to do better. These are the steps we need you to take. And, and, and that's, that's the path to improvement for you. So obviously, and obviously they're hoping that in Ken Holland said it, he, you know, Holland took a lot of responsibility for it, but he, he clearly feels the team can play better. Now, how much, how much impact can a coach have? Like, I don't think the Oilers are good enough to win the Stanley cup. I do think they're good enough to make the playoffs and at least be uh, a, a pesky out, you know, and be good enough to at least give, give fans hope if they do get in right now, they're not on pace to get in. So, 
I, I think they're hoping a new voice and maybe some uh, a new approach can give them a little bump. I mean, they're going to have to play like if they play 600 hockey the rest of the way, they'll make the playoffs. I mean, they may not get they may not have home ice advantage. Um, certainly, if they could play 615 or 620, then maybe they could even challenge for second place. So. Holland feels they're a playoff team. I, I still feel they should be a playoff team, even though they're not right now. So the, the challenge for Woodcroft is to get that little bit extra out of them. Is he going to turn them into a Stanley Cup contender? Well, given some of the deficiencies on the roster, um, I, I don't think that, that he can do that. But they, they should be performing better than they have been recently. How much blame falls at the feet of Ken Holland? Well, I think number one would be goaltending. and. I think we all knew it was a gamble with Smith and Koskinen. Now he did try, you know, he tried for Markstrom a couple of years ago, looked around for Kemper this past summer, but I guess you can say, should have he just kept looking? Should have he not been so quick to bring Mike Smith back? Um, So I think that's a concern there. Um, I think that if you look at some other things with Holland, um, you, you had Evan Bouchard on the back end. Was Tyson Berry redundant at that point? Now, you lost Adam Larson. He decided to go to Seattle on his own. There's not how much Holland could have done about that. But instead of signing Barry, should have he looked around for a more rugged-type defender or even somebody else who's closer to Cody Cece, who can kind of do a little bit of everything on the back end. So I think that's something um, you could be critical of. And then, you know, have they found enough of that... um, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but are they hard enough to play against? I mean, do they have enough players who can tilt the ice or impact the game, even if they're not scoring? I think Zach Hyman's helped in that regard. I think Evander Kane will help. Uh, I think Warren Fogel's been a little bit of a work in progress. Now, I also think he's one of the guys I talked about earlier that didn't benefit from sometimes Tippett shortening the bench a little too early, and a guy like Fogel also got left out of the rotation. So there are definitely areas in which you can criticize Holland. You know, again, not, nothing is totally on one guy, but uh, I, I think there's a lot of pressure on Holland to still do something with the roster. And quite frankly, I think it starts in net. If, if you look at the league average save percentage and the Oilers save percentage, you can argue that it's goaltending has probably cost the Oilers about six points. You know, so they're not way up in the standings with better goaltending, but they're more solidly, you know, competing for or in a playoff spot with better goaltending as opposed to being out. You mentioned you expect the team can be a playoff team. What do you think happens if they don't? Well, that's a good question. Um, I, I mean, I would think they would have to make massive changes. I don't know if you will, if they, if they will, looking at the history of the franchise, they tend to give, you know, GMs, especially uh, more experienced GMs like Ken Holland, a, a lot of rope. That's, that's generally how they've operated in the past. Um, you know, and then obviously what happens with Jay Woodcroft if they if they don't get in? I mean, I mean, if they don't make the playoffs, it's pretty hard to blame Jay Woodcroft. But if you have a new general manager, then who knows what's going to happen, right? That could set the wheels in motion for a lot of new people. Um, to be honest with you, Christian, I'm trying not to think about that right now because <laughs> we've been down that road. We've been down that road too many times in Edmonton, and as disappointing as it is lately. Um, I mean, the season is not a disaster. Like I, I have covered seasons that were disasters. I mean, the, the first year I was the host of the Oilers games on Chet, they started four fifteen and two. Mm. That was the first 21 games. Like it's over, like the season's over right. on November, whatever. So, you know, I, I'm trying to focus more on the short term. And like I said, some of those things that they can do to scratch out a few more points and, 
and, you know, maybe play 600 hockey the rest of the way, because I do think they are good enough to do it. I, I know there are deficiencies, but I do think they are good enough to do it. Still ahead of Winnipeg in the standings, so you have that much at least. Well, I got to tell you something. Uh, I, your fan base probably doesn't need to hear this from a guy in Edmonton, but like I, I consider the Jets a pretty big disappointment as well. Like I, yeah. I thought that they would be competing with Toronto to be the best Canadian team, and then and maybe the Oilers could have been in that conversation as well. But it's a it's a sad state for Canadian hockey this year. I mean, Toronto will be in the playoffs. I think they have a chance to win the Stanley Cup, but I still consider them a long shot once they kind of get into the more grinding playoffs. Um, you know, Calgary's doing well, um, but I think we're going to have to see how Markstrom and some of their big guys do in the playoffs because, as we know, that's been Calgary's story that some of the big guys haven't come through in the postseason. Montreal, Ottawa, uh, and Vancouver are all out. And I guess Winnipeg and Edmonton at this point are still are still bubble teams. So I mean, we we could. How would the country feel if there's one Canadian team in the playoffs and it's the Leafs? That'd be something, eh? <laughs> yeah, like the ratings might be kind of down. Well, though a lot of people like the Leafs, but a lot maybe people spite watch. I'm not sure. They would hate watch them. Yeah. Yes, they would watch to hope that they would fail. So <laughs> they would get huge ratings. Yeah, maybe. Well, Reed, I'll let you go. Thanks for your time tonight. Appreciate this, and maybe there'll be uh, better news to come for Oilers and Jets fans alike in the near future. Thanks for having me. This Saturday night at the Duckworth Center, it's senior night for the Westman basketball teams. And if I understand the new playoff format correctly, there is a chance the women's team could play at home after Saturday, their final regular season home game. But for sure, it will be the last one at home for the men. So for forward spots, Nikolov, his final chance to play a home game as a Canada West athlete. And I caught up with the big Bulgarian after practice today. Did this season feel like it went by fast after not having one last year? Uh, It went really fast. I mean, on one hand, it seems like it's very fast because... We just play so little games, but on the other hand, looking at when we played Regina last time, it feels like we played them a full year ago. It was all the way in October. But it was nice having a season compared to last year, not doing anything. What was that year like for you without having basketball to play? Uh, I feel like it was maybe a little better for me than some of the guys in Canada because I was back home in Bulgaria, so we didn't have that many restrictions, so I was still able to go to the gym and like practice, play some other sports with friends. But it was still not fun just doing online school and having no real competition on a weekly basis or like a real goal in mind. So were you doing school from back uh, home? Yeah. Yeah, I was doing, everything was online. So I was hoping I didn't come back, but eventually just stayed home and I was just doing everything online like everybody else. Okay. So what was it like for you when you finally got back to Winnipeg and got to be with your teammates again? it was like coming back for first time again, almost. I mean, I knew all my teammates, so it was better and I had a place to stay. So it was it was like going back to the same, almost like coming back to your second home that you missed for a bit. Almost felt like I was missing Winnipeg, even though I'm, I'm probably going to miss Winnipeg, but it was almost like I missed it for a full year. So this weekend coming up against Regina, the last two times you mentioned it was ages ago. It was the end of October when you played there. Two crazy games. You lose in double overtime. You win in overtime. Are you expecting two pretty competitive games again this weekend? Yeah, I was just thinking about it. It was crazy when we went back there. Uh, yeah, I hope it's very competitive. Uh, we can hope see how both teams probably developed and how much we got better over the course of six months or like five months. I mean, they got definitely better. We also built up a lot over since the start of the year. So hopefully we get very close games. I mean, I hope we win both, but 
whatever happens, we'll see. Regina right now 11 and 3 in the standings. They've won six in a row. You guys are six and six. Kind of been an up and down year for you guys. You you know, you lose one, you win one, you lose two, you win two. It's kind of been a, a struggle to, to stay consistent, hasn't it? I I don't think it's been that bad of a consistency. It's been more of a all the games we lost are very close games, in the same way all the games we won or won were very close. So it's been a very good year for us teaching wise. So I think we've probably learned the most this season out of the, the games even with the games we lost we only had one loss that was like big margin everything else was really close game so we could have been same result as regina and we could have been at the bottom the same way like all of them were overtimes and two-point games knowing that everybody makes the playoffs does that take a bit of the pressure off these last four games you have or is there still a lot of pressure to try to finish higher up in the standings uh I don't think there's been that much pressure this season overall because it's just gratitude of being able to play basketball and not not being stuck at home because of COVID. So I haven't really thought about exactly where in playoffs you get. I mean, obviously we hope for a first night off, but I think it's just being happy we can play every weekend. So for you personally, do you view yourself as a, a leader on this team, one of the upperclassmen, one of the few upperclassmen, a pretty young team? Are you doing a lot of teaching in practice? I think that everybody are teaching everybody different things. Like I'm telling them stuff that I've seen, but the young guys are just, they have so much energy and they have other stuff they teach us. It's like we're all sharing experience. So for this weekend to be your, your final home game, Saturday night, your senior night, is there a, a bittersweetness to that? Have you thought about that yet, that it's going to be your last home game? There, There is definitely a little bit of bittersweetness. And it's, I mean, I'm going to miss Winnipeg even though, Winters are really harsh, mm-hmm. and I didn't know what I came into. But Canada and Winnipeg has been very nice to me, and it's been like my second home for four and a half years now. So it's gonna be. I'm gonna be sad that it's done. But on the other hand, you gotta close the page and go and do something else. When did you decide? Take me back to 2017. What was it about Winnipeg that lured you here? Oh, that was a very long journey. Honestly, I don't really know how I ended up like exactly here. It was more of a coincidence. And I mean, I guess maybe some missteps, maybe other like steps that I ended up coach my con- con- got connected to the coach I was in the UK and just recruited me, offered me a scholarship. I saw Canada it was a nice university. I was like, yeah, I might as well give it a try. So you go from Bulgaria to a college in England to Winnipeg. Uh, Right. Yeah, it was like a yep. It was like a something like a prep college that right. you can stay for a year after high school because I finished high school basically a year early, I think. Okay. So, did you know when you left Bulgaria at first that you wanted to play in Canada? Was it the U.S.? What was your goal? Uh, not really. I honestly, the only goal I had was I wanted to at least get some kind of education. So like get some payback for all the basketball I've played since during high school as like a free education with basketball. And my aim was the only place I knew I can get it was North America. I didn't even know there were universities in Canada offered full scholarships. And then it just happened to be in Canada. But my, my only aim was North America, not really a specific place. Okay. Growing up in Bulgaria, did they teach you anything about Canada in school? Yeah, yeah. We Bulgarian education is pretty especially in school is pretty diverse so we learn a lot about different countries 
So it, I had some knowledge. I mean, I didn't know where exactly Winnipeg was, and it looked like it was close to Toronto, but it was pretty far. Right. So how cold does it get in a Bulgarian winter? Uh, we get like probably minus 10, like maybe something around the water that's right now here. And then the minus 15 is the excessive cold, like the minus 45 here. Right. So your first cold winter probably shocked you a bit. The first cold winter is bad, especially the sunny days when everybody knows that it's cold, but I didn't know. So I just opened the window and thought I can go out with a hoodie, like minus 40. Yeah, that's it's a definitely a shock to the system. So looking ahead then, once you graduate, what's next for you? Uh, I'm not sure yet. I hope I'll go back somewhere in Europe, maybe try to play a little couple of years if I have the luck, find a team, play some more basketball. Or if not, I'll... I don't know. I'll have to start working something, probably, or keep on studying something com- in connection with my degree. And what's your degree? Uh, biochemistry. Okay. Are there a lot of six ten biochemists? Not any that I know of. No. You, you don't get. You're not too tall for the lab. It's it's fine. They're getting used to it. There's always extra chairs I can sit down on, and everybody is super nice in the university. So that's nice. So it works out well. What's the highlight of your time in Winnipeg, if you could pick one? That's an interesting question. I feel like it might be just this year as a whole, just the joy and happiness of being in that group of people and everybody being so motivated and just enjoying every day. It's just everybody has been happy and we come every day with a pleasure and have fun, just practice. Just like the daily work we put in. Not that much of something personal that I've did. Did the pandemic shift kind of your viewpoint of basketball where maybe before you look at practice as like, ah, got to go practice. But now there's more of a gratitude that, hey, we get to practice. We get to play basketball. Yeah, it definitely did, especially because at some point in the pandemic, you're only allowed to come in and be by yourself. And no matter how much social media there is or like no matter how much you can look into on the internet, there is never the same as connecting with people personally and just talking. And even the small talk you have with friends or with teammates, it, most of them are your friends anyways. It just puts you in another perspective. Well, I wish you the best of luck in everything uh, you do in basketball, after basketball spots. Thanks for this, and uh, we'll see you at the gym tomorrow night. Thank you. Have a nice day. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all the